835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. We start off today's program like we start off all programs. Three big things. Number one, a federal judge appointed by Barack Obama with the blessing of Terry Baldwin, who has been at the forefront of what are, in my opinion, a bunch of whacked out lefty, le- liberal decisions over the last couple of years. This is the same federal judge who struck down various aspects of Wisconsin's voter ID law, in my opinion, completely contrary to precedent, and who I think is on the verge of being reversed by the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit when it comes to that, um, is at it again. The judge name, his judge's name is James Peterson. He was elevated to the bench a couple years ago. And even by Madison standards, Madison federal judge standards, I think some of his decisions have been peculiar at best. And this decision came down Friday. It was just breaking news yesterday. We talked about it briefly at the end of the show. I've been thinking about it overnight, and I I want to revisit this at the start, because this is a huge, huge issue. Almost 20 years ago, Wisconsin passed a law which became known as the Cocaine Mom Law. What the law says is that the state can treat fetuses as children in need of protection if the expectant mother habitually lacks self-control in the use of alcoholic beverages, controlled substance, or controlled substance analogs exhibited to a severe degree to the extent that there is a substantial risk that the physical health of the unborn child and when the child will be born will be seriously affected or endangered. So we are not talking about a pregnant mom who smokes a cigarette. We're not talking about the pregnant mom who has a glass of wine. We are talking about the cocaine mom, the expectant mother who habitually lacks self-control with regard to the use of particularly controlled substances, exhibited to a severe degree to the extent there is a substantial risk that the physical health of the unborn child and when the child is born will be seriously affected or endangered. All right? That is the state's interest. If the child is born, obviously the state then has an interest in making sure that the child is protected. This law says that a mother, just like the mother, could not, if the child is two days old and the mother decided to inject the child with cocaine or heroin, that would be, again, in violation of the law, the child would be in need of protection. This says that if mom is a serious drug user, and that's how the law has essentially been implied, and that you're going to have children that are going to be born with all the different birth defects that come with being born with heroin or cocaine or something like that in your system, the state can move in. And the state can say, all right, if you're not going to control yourself during your pregnancy, and you're going to be doing drugs and all those type of things, we have an interest, and what we can do is we can detain you until you give birth to make sure that we are protecting your child. I think this is an outstanding law. This does not matter how you feel about abortion or things like that. This is a recognition that a fetus does, in fact, have some rights. And just like you have a a mother who could not abuse the two-year-old baby, they shouldn't be able to to abuse the you know eight-month of the the fetus that's you know um, a one month away from being born. So this law has been on the books for twenty years. Twenty years. It has been, you know, used. I, I think um, the numbers are that um, 
the state made claims of abuse of fetuses against 467 women since 2005. Um, about 152 cases, authorities removed children from the parents after birth. This is not a statute that is used very often. It is a statute that is used, I think, only in extreme sort of cases. A federal judge in Madison, this James Peterson, has struck down the statute that's been on the books for 20 years, ruling that in his opinion, in his opinion, the, the terms are unnecessarily vague habitual lack of self-control and substantial risk to the physical health of the unborn child are not amenable to reasonably precise interpretation. So he has decided that this law can no longer be enforced. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you think and you wonder whether the law is an art, it is not a science. If you wonder why federal judges and who get appoint, who gets appointed to the bench is so very important, these are the cases that underscore this. Let us tee this up. I think this law is perfectly reasonable. If you have, for example, on an individual situation, a, a judge who gets it wrong, a judge who rules on the facts that somebody lacks self-control or their drug use doesn't, you know, um, doesn't present a physical risk of health to the unborn child, you can review it on a case-by-case basis. But that is not what this judge has done. This judge has struck down the entire law, saying it cannot be enforced, period. That is, in my opinion, appalling. 414-799-1620 is the number. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 841. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 844. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Look, this is not an abortion question, but what has now happened is a federal judge in Madison within the last couple days has struck down a law that has been on the books for 20 years and essentially green-lighted allowing pregnant drug-abusing women to poison their unborn children. That's what this ruling does this is why who we put on the federal bench is so important. Jim in Elkhorn. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Some comments, questions, comments, I guess. First of all, a uh, question is, this has to be brought before him. So I want to know the background as to how this was brought up. That's the question. The comment is it speaks to the arrogance of an individual who overturns something that's been on the books for 20 years. And thirdly, it is amazing that all this stuff happens in Madison. Right. And <laughs> I, I wonder at what point... Are we going to get smart in this country, both at a state and a federal level, where you can't do these appeals, pick and choose, that they get stuck in a hopper on a rotational thing. And if you're going to make an appeal, you don't know exactly which area a judge is going to do it. That's well, what needs to be done statewide and in this country. Well, that, no, thanks. I mean, I'll tell you the context. The context of this is there was a woman who was 14 weeks pregnant, had, had showed up, she tested positive for drugs. Taylor County, it came out of Taylor County. A Taylor County judge ordered her into inpatient drug treatment. She refused. She was then taken to the county jail for 18 days and held until she agreed to urinalysis throughout her pregnancy. So that was the the basis for this. Here's what I think is particularly outrageous about this, Jim, is the fact that you you can, look, if, if you've got a mother, for example, who thinks that she is being treated unfairly under this law. You can litigate that. You can appeal it. You can say, hey, this judge in Taylor County got it wrong. I don't fit the definition. But that is not what this federal judge did. The federal judge didn't say, hey, you're wrong here. He said, I don't like the whole law. I think the law is too vague. Now, again, this federal judge, 
um, has had a couple of what I think are wacky rulings that I believe are going to end up being reversed. If the Department of Justice appeals this, I think this will be one as well. Uh, again, if you if you want to argue, hey, the facts of the case, I am a pregnant mother, I'm a pregnant woman, and I should not qualify under this law because um, I, I don't, even though there's a trace of drugs in my system, it, it, I'm not a regular cocaine user, I'm not a heroin user, whatever, it doesn't apply to me. That's one thing, but that's not what this guy did. This guy did set, struck down the entire law, which, like I say, has now green-lighted the poisoning of unborn children by drug-abusing mothers. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Brian and Racine. Brian, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. My question, and your, your previous caller kind of asked the same thing, I guess, is, how does this even come about? Does the judge walk in one day, sit down, and go, oh, by the way, I'm going to repeal this law? Or what is the process that this even comes up with him that he can do this? Well, the process is, you had, I mean, what happened is you have this woman who gets detained under the law. She argues the law is unconstitutional. So she, she, what she did is she sues. She sues the people in Taylor County who were responsible for helping her be locked up. And she sues in federal court. And she also argues that the law is unconstitutional. And she got this federal judge to guppy on that argument. So the woman who was affected by this brought a lawsuit trying to have the whole law thrown out. And after 20 years, We've now found a federal judge who, at least for the time being, unless and until he is reversed, has agreed with this. Wonderful. What? Yeah, that's right. I mean, exactly. I mean, anybody. Look, anybody who, and again, I, I don't want to get sucked into the, I don't want to get drawn into the abortion debate about, you know, you know, the the, the rights of of fetus. But here you have a simple situation: if the child is born. You know, two days after the child is born, if the mother gave that child cocaine, the mother would be locked up, the child would be taken away, it would be neglect. Anybody with an IQ above plant life understands that if you have a child, particularly in the uh, the unborn child, the fetus, particularly in the latest later stages of development, and you have moms who are ingesting cocaine or taking heroin or whatever, what that means is they're endangering the lives of the child. Doesn't When the child is born, doesn't anybody realize, and yesterday when I talked about this briefly, I had a woman to call up, she's a foster parent. She's raising two children who were born to a drug-addicted mother. The, the stories of this, these are absolute horror stories. And that's what this law was aimed at, and that's what the law has accomplished for 20 years until it has now been put on hold or struck down by one federal judge in Madison. Dell in West Dallas. Dell, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. I Hi, guess I have, I, have, uh, I guess I have mixed feelings about this. I don't really know, you know how I should feel about it because it almost seems like it got taken up as, a, as an abortion, like, as, as an abortion-type ruling. It's, it's a little confusing. I mean, well, the, what the judge is saying forward. is that the law... What the judge is saying is that he thinks that uh, the terms are too vague, that, that you can't um, you, you can't define... I mean, some of the words that are in there, that the mother um, lacks 
self-control, habitual self-control, or that you can't establish that her conduct is going to lead to severe damage to the child. Well, I'm sorry. If you've got a mom you know, who, who's a regular heroin user and she's seven or eight months pregnant, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, Dell, to realize that there's going to be a likelihood that that fetus is going to be born in all that when it becomes a baby, it's going to be born in all sorts of distress. It's just going to happen. Yeah, I just wonder if, if, if the vagueness is the type of drug no, the va- no, no, the vague, no, the vague, no, thanks. No, 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 the vagueness isn't that. The vagueness is in the, that he doesn't believe that, um, it is clear enough when you say substantial risk to the physical health of the unborn child. That that is, that is too vague a term for other judges. Other judges are too stupid, in other words, to figure that out. Now, like I say, I understand that there are judges who could, you could create a situation, and maybe this case is one of those scenarios where the evidence wouldn't have been, shouldn't have been sufficient to detain this woman for 18 days. Okay, I don't take any position on, on that. And if you want to go after a case-by-case basis and argue that a judge is misapplying it, that, that's all right. But that's not what happened. We struck down the law. So essentially now, if you have a drug-using mother a drug-abusing mother. There is nothing that the state can do to protect the unborn child. I mean, I guess the one alternative would be if you get evidence that mom is doing heroin, for example, you can arrest mom for you know the drug possession and try to lock her up. But that's a very indirect way of going about this. Do This idea that unborn children have no rights at all, I, I think, is appalling. What is even worse is the fact that you are essentially dooming hundreds, maybe thousands of children to be born with all the problems that come with your irresponsible mother who's got drugs in her system. And there appears to be nobody who's willing to stand up for the rights of those children. And that is what is aggravating. And that right now is the state of the law. I hope... The state of Wisconsin has shown no reluctance to appeal rulings that this Judge Peterson has issued in the past. Like I say, he's the one that struck down huge parts of the voter ID law. And, you know, when that was argued in front of the Seventh Circuit, they were very clear the judges were apparently having no part of Peterson's rulings. So, I mean, they've shown a willingness to appeal him in the past. Hopefully they will continue to appeal him on issues of significance like this. And once again, isn't it interesting that these decisions come out of... Well, again, they they come out more often than not out of the federal courts um, in Madison. Hmm. All right, 853, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up next, big thing number two, health care reform is about to pass. Stick around. 856, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Brewers series in St. Louis continues tonight. Mr. Baseball is in the booth to call it. Brewers Cardinals from Bush Stadium. Our pregame coverage gets underway at 640 this evening, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. Keep in mind, in about 15 minutes, your chance to follow the Brewers, chance to win a four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers at Miller Park, and then follow the Brewers to St. Louis later on this season. Uh, We'll have another winner, like I say, qualifying in about 15 minutes approximately. Big thing number two, health care reform. It becomes more and more apparent that later on this week there might actually be a vote in the House of Representatives on some form of health care reform. It will not be the final version. Matter of fact, we're going to be talking to Speaker of the House Paul Ryan at 10.15 tomorrow morning about that. It most likely will not be the, the final version 
Whatever passes in the House will then go over in the Senate to you know deal with various changes and things like that. But here, here's the bottom line, and th- this is the, this is the reality. And I understand that there's a lot of Democrats in particular that are jumping up and down, and they're very very happy that you know health care reform and changes to Obamacare have not gone through. Here is the reality: Obamacare is crumbling. And it will continue to crumble unless there is something significant done. The number of insurers right now are losing their shirts. What's happened is, in many states, most insurers have pulled out of these exchanges. What that means is that people who have to get their insurance through Obamacare are significantly limited. You can't pick your insurance plans. You can't pick your doctors. And it's getting worse and worse and worse as more and more insurers decline to participate. Something needs to be done. In Wisconsin, before Obamacare, actually, I think you can make an argument that the system was a lot stronger. You had more choices that were available. You had more cost options that were available. People could pick and choose what they wanted. And for people who had the pre-existing conditions, you had a high-risk pool that you could end up getting into. The version that they're going to pass out of the House gives the states power and a lot of freedom to be more flexible. And in other words, I, I think in Wisconsin, they'd have a lot of choices maybe to go back to the way it was. And I think you can make a strong argument in Wisconsin that the as far as cost, as far as choices, and as far as coverage, Wisconsin residents were a lot better off before Obamacare than after Obamacare. So something needs to be done. I don't know if what's going to come out of the House, and I'm pretty sure it's not going to ultimately be what is uh, enacted into law, but we've got to get moving because the reality is if we don't, for people who are trapped in Obamacare as their only choices, they're going to find the costs going up. They're going to find their ability to choose doctors going down. And in some cases, they might not even have options because more and more insurers are pulling out of the plans. Something needs to be done. And I think the House of Representatives is going to get started on it this week. And while I understand there are some people who are saying, oh, this is great that the Republicans can't get their act together, that's what they're saying now, six months from now or a year from now, when they're there's not insurance coverage available or it costs too much for the average person without substantial tax subsidies, they will be singing a different tune. Big thing number three coming up after Follow the Brewers. Um, a number of Milwaukee County jail employees have been recommended for criminal charges. Stick around. It's 859. It has it, it already started. Next year in the spring, early April, there will be another election to the state Supreme Court. Um, This year, Annette Ziegler, who is one of the conservative justices, our winner is Mark from Heartland. Mark from Heartland is our daily winner of our Follow the Brewers contest. Keep listening at approximately the same time tomorrow. We'll give somebody else a chance to win the tickets and then also qualify for a chance to follow the Brewers to St. Louis. All right. uh, This year... um, Again, what what happened is Justice Annette Ziegler was elected, re-elected, unopposed to a 10-year term. Um, This caused lots of consternation among Democrats throughout the state who were irate that Justice Ziegler, who is a conservative and a very, very good justice and a wonderful person on top of that, um, was allowed to run unopposed. And, and this is a failing of the Democratic Party. I can't believe we couldn't come, come up with anybody to run against her. Well, all right, apparently the Democrats are not making that mistake. And I understand it's, it's not a partisan race, but the truth of the matter is there are liberal special interest groups that very, very badly want to try to retake control of the state Supreme Court because, as liberals have found, 
the ways you thwart the the legislature and the will of the people is expressed through their elective representatives is to go to court and try to get a like-minded judges a lot of times out of Dane County to strike down these state laws. Well, one of the buffers about the, against that has been the Wisconsin Supreme Court, which has uh, again served as a check and balance to some of the, in my opinion, very bizarre decisions that have come out of Dane County Circuit Courts over the years. In any event, next next April, um, another conservative justice, Michael Gableman, and he was one of our guests at, at Insight. He hasn't announced yet whether he's running for re-election, but I pretty confident that he is going to be running for re-election. He has now been challenged. Uh, first challenger has come out, a very, very liberal Madison trial lawyer with no judicial experience at all. Never been on the bench. His name is Tim Burns. And I don't think, I don't think even too many people in the legal community have, have heard of him. He's a partner at a Madison law firm. Um, he sits on the board of the liberal-leaning American Constitution Society. Um, he sits on an American Bar Association uh, committee focused on social justice. Since 2007, he has given thousands of dollars to state and national Democratic candidates, including Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, U.S. Representative Mark Pocan, Pocan and Tammy Baldwin, the Progressives United Political Action Committee, the nonprofit group Democrat Russ Feingold founded after leaving the U.S. Senate, etc., etc. So you have a very, very liberal Madison trial lawyer with no judicial experience who's decided that he wants to be on the state Supreme Court. I have no doubt that either it's going to be him or there's going to be somebody else that the left in Wisconsin is going to rally around and throw a ton of money into. This will be a very, very interesting race. Typically, ultra-liberal Madison lawyers do not do well in state court races, but, but... I guess there is always a first time, but it's already starting 11 months before the election. Uh, conservative Justice Gableman has a challenger, a Madison trial lawyer that's way, way, way to the left, just what the state Supreme Court would need. Trust me, we will focus on that race a lot over the next 11 months. Coming up, big thing number three. It's perhaps the it's a story which has gone national the recommendation by an inquest jury that criminal charges be issued against the number of employees at the county jail. We'll discuss. Stick around. It's 915. Jeff Wagner. 918, Jeff Wagner, 620 WPMJ. Is it time to change Wisconsin state law so that our Supreme Court justices are appointed and no longer elected? The nation is split on the issue. Where do you come down? Join the debate during Scafidi and Billstead, 1235 today. All right, it is the big story locally, statewide, and now nationally. Yesterday, an inquest jury recommended that John Chisholm, the Milwaukee County District Attorney, issue criminal charges against seven employees at the Milwaukee County Jail in connection with the death of inmate Terrell Thomas. Now, let me let me just back up before we open up the phone lines to discuss this. Um, inquest juries are rarely done in, in Wisconsin. And, and Mike McCann, the former DA in Milwaukee County, used to do them 
in police shootings, but the controversy was always, see, the way it works with inquest juries is there's no right to cross-examine witnesses. A prosecutor goes in, a DA, you get a jury of six people, and you present evidence. You present, it's like sort of a grand jury in a way, except it's public. You call people under oath. They have no right to have a lawyer. They can take the Fifth Amendment. The lawyer doesn't get to cross-examine. The district attorney gets to present the evidence. And normally these inquest juries, when prosecutors do them, they know the result they want. And so they steer the testimony towards that particular result. Like I say, Mike McCann, the former DA, was famous for using inquest juries I think, to give him political cover on police shootings. You know, he would be able to say, well, I'm not going to charge these police, and here, here's why. And then you have the inquest jury, and you present evidence in, in a fashion such as to uh, get the verdict that you you want. Um, most prosecutors don't do inquest juries. Generally speaking, the DAs will say, well, we don't need them because this is our job. We, we make these decisions. We're paid the big money to decide whether to charge a case or not. The reason, in my opinion, you typically do inquests is sometimes if you have difficulty, you want to get people under oath and you want to get them on record. There is a value to that. But more often, there is a political reason. You, you, want, you want to give yourself cover. Um, in the case in Milwaukee County, if there is a dispute, if charges are in fact issued, now you have an inquest jury that has recommended it. You've had this public hearing. So if, for example, Sheriff Clark were to go after the district attorney and saying these charges are politically motivated and trying to make me look bad, you, Chisholm can say, oh, I've got this inquest jury that, that recommends this. So there is a, a huge political element to this. And in my opinion, that's why prosecutors, and it's a rare thing in Wisconsin to do this, but it's why prosecutors do it, like I say, because they're looking for political cover. That doesn't really necessarily change the underlying facts. So everybody knows this story by now. You have this 38-year-old mentally ill inmate who is involved in shooting someone at the Potawatomi Casino and is then taken into custody. He is bipolar. He is put in a cell in the Milwaukee County Jail. At one point in time, he apparently damages his first cell by trying to flood it, turning on on the water. He's in solitary confinement. They move him to another cell. And because he has flooded his first cell, what they do is they shut off the water. The testimony, and again, there's different nuances to the testimony, but long story short, the water was shut off to this guy's cell. Um, there's questions as to who did it, who knew about it, how was it communicated to other people, but most people apparently didn't know that the water to the guy's cell was shut off. He is not given water, because when you're in solitary confinement, they bring you the food, you're supposed to drink out of the sink. Well, he couldn't drink out of the sink because there wasn't water. His condition deteriorates, and again, he... He's bipolar. He is suffering from a mental disease. And so there are serious questions about his ability to even communicate the condition that he was in. Um, the jail, the, te- the sense I get from the testimony is it's just, it, it's just one error after another. You have people who aren't communicating with each other. You have people who said, well, I didn't realize the water was shut off. We weren't told. You have jail procedures that were not followed. And the bottom line is, for the better part of a week, you have a guy who goes without water. His condition deteriorates and deteriorates, and ultimately he, he, ends, up, he ends up dying. Nobody intended to kill him. But at the same time, 
I think it is pretty apparent that he was put in this cell and pretty much left to die. Um, there was some testimony the other day suggesting that because this guy was so big and potentially violent, they didn't want to move him into the psychiatric cell or whatever, so they just left him there. My sense of what happened is because this guy, mentally ill, big, potentially dangerous, the jail personnel were just kind of happy that he, he was just laying on the floor. At one point in time, he's apparently like laying on the floor and not moving. He doesn't have clothes on. And the testimony was, well, you know, some of these people, this is what happens all the time. But nobody checked on him to any degree. Nobody got him the treatment that he really needed. And he was pretty much left to die for the better part of a week. So now... This inquest jury reaches its decision yesterday, after not that much deliberation, finding probable cause to believe that seven jail officials, um, well, um, they were responsible for neglect and mistreatment of of this particular man. And they have recommended, the jury recommended, that the DA issue criminal charges. Uh, Chisholm says, well, I'm, I'm going to take into account the verdict of the inquest, but I'm not bound by it or limited by it, meaning that I could charge nobody, I could charge the seven, I could charge more, um, I, I, I'm just, I'm going to decide. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Obviously, we've been discussing this for the better part of a week. The jury recommends criminal charges. That is an extraordinary step to take about against people who are working in a jail facility where I am here to tell you it is very, very, you work in a jail, it's a tough job. You know, you are you are around dangerous people, you are around mentally ill people. Um, the conditions are not good. It is a very, very tough job, and mistakes can be made. Is this the situation where criminal charges should be brought? Or is this just one of those unfortunate situations where bad things happened, but it's not a crime? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 925. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Twenty-seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're first. Good afternoon. Good morning. Yes, uh, I'm, sorry. I'm wondering. Good morning. I'm wondering uh, where the sheriff is in all of this. You know, we sit here and we give him a pass all the time when he's Trump when he's uh, chasing around the country giving speeches and so on. I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. it sounds like it's a it's a it's a jail that doesn't have a lot of direction or supervision. Well, I think um, I think there's you certainly get that sense listening to all the testimony here. You know how, how much responsibility you know big picture falls on Clark's leadership. I guess is debatable, but yeah, I mean I I, I followed the same testimony. And I have to tell you, I was I was kind of stunned by some of this stuff coming out. I mean how how can you how can you put somebody in solitary confinement and essentially turn off the water to the cell? Nobody else knows this has happened. And then the guy died of dehydration. It's, it's not like you turn your back and he grabs a bed sheet and he hangs himself. This was something that was going on for the better part of seven or eight days. And it's tough for me to argue with you, Mark, when I say it sounds like whether it's rules not being followed or rules not being in place or just people not paying attention, it's tough to, it's, it's tough to find any silver lining to this particular situation. Well, well, and the sad thing, too, is that 
all of a sudden he's going to move on. It's been, uh, it's been uh, announced or, or rumored that he's going to get a post in the Trump, Trump administration. administration. Yeah. So he's going to slide right out of here. Well, they should, they should drag his butt back and prosecute him. Well, see, this. now I get, I mean, now again, that's always something for, for Chisholm to decide. I, I, I will tell you this. I didn't find any evidence, at least there wasn't any evidence I think presented, which, which give you a basis, regardless of how you feel politically about Sheriff Clark, I didn't hear any evidence presented at the inquest that I think would give you a basis for for charging Sheriff Clark with neglect. What they're focusing on is they're focusing right now on the inmates, on the, on the jail personnel who had contact with the guy. Um, who either you know didn't do what they were supposed who didn't do what they were supposed to do. So I think if, if you bring those charges there, you're on relatively solid ground. Um, you know, as the ultimate policymaker, I, I think it would be very difficult to, to bring charges against David Clark. Even though I think some people you know might like to see that, I just don't think that that is going to happen. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are criminal charges against the people at the jail appropriate? Believe me, there is going to be a massive federal civil rights lawsuit. So taxpayers in Milwaukee County are are going to be, I think, on the hook. But on top of that, do you need criminal charges? We continue the conversation next. Thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Another prominent Democrat is sending out signs that they too will likely choose not to run for governor next year. Who is the likeliest opponent to Governor Walker in two thousand eighteen? John McCure answers that question. Tune in three twenty during Wisconsin's afternoon news. Right now, we're talking about the decision by an inquest jury to recommend that seven Milwaukee County jail employees be charged with crimes. Look, I take no position on whether there's probable cause to go after seven employees or three or more. I, I will say this, and this is somebody who you know, spent a lot of time. I know how tough it is to work around jails, but the truth of the matter is what happened in this Terrell Thomas situation is nothing short of, of appalling. And to me, it is disconcerting that this was allowed to happen. It is disconcerting that apparently there's been little or no discipline to the various people who, who did stuff. But, I mean, it, it's you, you turn off water to this guy's cell. You forget to turn it back on. You don't document the water shut off. You leave other shifts in the dark. You never take him out of solitary confinement for mandatory recreation time. You deprive him for a mattress, and the guy dies from dehydration. Now, I understand that, for example, a lot of people have legitimate criticism about John Chisholm and the way he chooses to prosecute or not prosecute violent criminals on the street, and I get that, but, but that's saying, okay, well, Chisholm needs to concentrate more on prosecuting violent criminals, and he desperately does, doesn't change the fact that something went very, very bad at the jail. And when you take somebody into custody, when you deprive them, regardless of who they are, when you deprive them of their liberty, their freedom to move around, you take a responsibility for their care, and that that was just not done here. Let's talk to Mike in Bayview. Mike, you're on 620 BTMJ. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Yeah, I changed my mind on this before the facts came out. I was more uh, supportive of the county workers. I gotta say, this is a tantamount to torture, something you would see in a third world uh, yeah. prison. 
Yeah, no, this is, you're right. This is, this is Midnight Express for people who remember that movie. Yeah. This is, let's yep. take a guy and throw him in a Turkish prison or wherever and just like right. leave him there and ignore him. And especially right. somebody who's mentally ill. And I understand he posed challenges for the jailers, but this can't happen in America in 2017. Right. It's, it's locking the door and throwing away the key, literally. And, yeah. and, uh, what I don't understand, and I'm sure more questions will be answered, but is, you know, can, can the feds come in and, and uh, take control of the county jail system until this gets worked out? And I mean, if anything, it seems like manslaughter would be, or a negligent homicide. I'm not a lawyer, but yeah. it seems like some of those charges would be appropriate. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank, again, and, and look, and I, I just, I, I hate. I hate approaching topics like this because I understand. I have the greatest respect for people. I really do for people who work in in the, the penal system. You know, working working whether it's a the Milwaukee County Jail or whether it's at a state prison or a federal prison. It is a very difficult, thankless job. You work long hours under extreme conditions. I mean, the extreme conditions being you know you're surrounded by people who are in many cases dangerous or mentally ill, who do not want to be there, who have done really bad things to get them put in there. It is a very, very difficult job. But at the same time, there are protocols. And and what really, again, caught my attention was the fact that it was, I don't want to to use the phrase comedy of errors, because there's nothing funny about what happened. But it's, you've got procedures that are apparently you know, routinely being ignored. I know the last caller was talking about do the feds need to come in and take over. I, I don't know that it's a situation where you don't have procedures and protocols. It just appears in this particular situation. Undoubtedly, I, look, I, I think I, I can kind of piece what happened here. You have a really big, dangerous guy who is mentally ill, who has flooded his cell. He is causing a ton of problems for people. And it's just, it's easier out of sight, out of mind. I have no doubt that that's part of the thing that was playing in this. Um, I don't know why the first person that shut off the water didn't document this. And, And I, okay, if you believe the fact that all these other people didn't know the water was shut off, well, the question becomes, okay, why didn't you provide more checks? Is the man that lays naked and doesn't move on his jail cell for day after day after day, that should be a tip-off that something's going on. And my guess is it was because, okay, this is a big, violent guy, and he's not causing any trouble, so let's just let it go. Well, all right, the reason he wasn't causing any trouble is because he was in distress. And I have no sympathy for the man for what he did that got him into the situation, okay? That's, I, I had somebody send me this email saying, well, you're forgetting the fact that you know he, he did this. He shot up the pot. He shot somebody at Potawatomi, and he was dangerous. I can't. I get all that. He should have been off the streets. I have no problem with that. But once you take somebody into custody, once you take them off the streets, you assume some responsibility for their care. And it doesn't have to be the Taj Mahal of of treatment, but you do accept some responsibility for their care. And you can't just let somebody shut off their water and let them die of dehydration over the course of a week. Paul on the South Side. Paul, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, Yes, good morning. Yeah, I definitely think they take responsibility when they lock him in there. And I, I get that he was a big guy and stuff, but then they could have, because he was bipolar, they could have called in some kind of a doctor of some sort. Or moved him to the psychiatric water. unit, yeah. Yeah, it, it gave him some water with maybe a sedative in there so they could control him a little better or something under, you know, a position supervision. Uh, but yeah. this, this, I agree with the other callers that this is just, this is just wrong, bad management and torture. I mean, it's all I 
say about it. Well, no, thank. Well, it is. I mean, it's and 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 that's why. Now there is. I mean, there, Chisholm has the district attorney has a relatively difficult decision here in some respects because there is going to be there's going to be a monster lawsuit that's going to be filed there's no doubt uh, about this so the question becomes is this a is this a crime when you know this occurs and 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 it's a different standard you know one of the callers is talking about manslaughter which requires a certain degree of intent there's a statute that just i don't think anybody intended this guy to die but the the willful neglect, and again, I I don't, I, I didn't sit down and break it down as to the potential evidence against every one of the particular seven people. So I I don't take any position on whether there's probable cause to believe that one person, person X or person Y or person Z should be charged criminally. I don't take any position on that, and I don't take any position on whether there's probable cause to believe that other people should be charged. Based on the evidence presented at the in, at the inquest, I, I'll just tell you that there's no basis, in my opinion, to charge David Clark with, with anything. Um, he wasn't personally involved in in this. You know, he's the sheriff. That would be, I, I think, a, a very, very bad decision. And if Chisholm ended up doing it, it would politicize this in a way that I don't think it needs to be politicized. But having said all that, without saying, okay, this person needs to be charged or whatever, I, I will tell you, I think that given the stunning series of mistakes, the stunning cavalier attitude that apparently was going on during this eight days where nobody seemed to give a damn about what was going on with this guy i I do think that that that's got to rise to the level of of neglect as it comes to like some of the people who who dealt with him whether it's all seven i i don't know and i don't take any pleasure in saying that i don't because like i say this is a difficult being a jailer is one heck of a difficult job and it's going to become even more difficult if you have district attorneys that are charging people with crimes every time something bad happens in a jail. So I, I understand you have to be careful with this, but but this isn't just something bad happening, and this isn't just like a one-off type of thing. This appears to have been something that went on for a week and you know affected the entire institution. So I'm not surprised at, at the verdict. What you have to keep in mind with inquest verdicts as well, it's like I was saying at the start of this, it, it's only one side of the evidence. You know, we, we really haven't, you know, it's not like the people who showed up and testified, it's not like they had lawyers who were cross-examining other witnesses. That's, you know, if there are charges, that is for the trial. So there, there might be more evidence that comes out that ultimately, you know, impacts on whether or not somebody is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. But having said all this, um, it's... It's just a really, really bad thing. I mean, no question about it. Let's see. Got a lot of text here. Um, Carol writes, I respect jail employees, but are you kidding me? No water. So they had to clean up water. That's their job. Part of the job when you're in custody is that you should be safe. Um, the guards are wrong. Yeah, I mean, that's um, that's it. Nancy in Oak Creek writes, at least a wall sign outside the cell that notes the date on water shutoff. Don't they have sticky notes? Yeah, those. Those are the different things that are out there. I mean, how can you shut off the water and not tell? And how can anybody notice that the water hasn't been shut off and and not notice it for eight days? And the guy's supposed to be taken out of solitary confinement for an hour every day. That didn't happen. This was just a a stone-cold mess. No question about it. And uh, 
I will also say that it is frustrating that there's been, at least thus far, based on my knowledge, no significant discipline for anybody that was involved in this. And if you want to lay something at the footsteps of the sheriff, maybe that's what you do. It is 946. Coming up in just a couple minutes, we're going to be joined by the host of Wisconsin's Morning News, Gene Miller. He's got a special project that I want to talk to him about. Stick around. It's 949, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Over the last year plus, we have done a number of things in connection with our WTMJ CARES program. We, we built baseball fields. We built children's playgrounds. Um, last year, late last year, we, we did something in connection with cancer awareness that was very close to my heart. Um, and so it's, I'm, I'm really very pleased that the station gives us the opportunity to do this. And we have another WTMJ CARES initiative that we want people to get behind, um, being spearheaded by our very own Gene Miller, who joins me in the studio. Gene, good morning. Thanks, Thanks for having me on, sir. Absolutely. Okay, tell me a little bit about this. Well, this is a about Lance Sijon, the uh, Bayview Medal of Honor recipient from the Vietnam War. He was um, captured by the Vietnamese in 1967. His F-4 caught fire on a bombing run, and he uh, parachuted out, landed in some very harsh jungle, unforgiving terrain, but was still alive with severe injuries and was able to elude capture for 46 days. In fact, he came like this close to being rescued the next day, but they just couldn't pull it off amid heavy enemy fire. He gets captured Christmas Day, 1967, still escapes despite his emaciated condition, then is recaptured, beaten, tortured, sent to the Hanoi Hilton. His plight is witnessed by other POWs who cannot believe his endurance, his strength, his commitment to the code Mm -hmm. of conduct. He never gave anything other than name, rank, and serial number, and uh, died in January of 1968. Those same POWs who witnessed his ordeal were so moved that when they were released with the other POWs in 1973 at war's end, made sure that he was uh, put up for the Medal of Honor, which his family received posthumously in 1976. People may know this story, they may not, and that's part of this whole WTMJ CARES effort is, A, educate people about the war itself. You and I lived through it. Uh, A lot of people did not. We know what it meant to this country, both very little good, a whole lot of bad in many cases, especially the way the veterans were treated. Uh, Lance Sijon was memorialized with an F-4 jet at the 440th, which then left Milwaukee, what, eight, nine years ago? And that jet just sat there in this field uh, unattended. Lance Sijon's sister, Janine, saw that and figured that's not right. We have to do something to better remember my brother and also move his story forward so it inspires others. So she worked for seven years with a lot of other people to get the plane moved. It is now on a new stand at uh, the Howell Avenue entrance to Mitchell International, the main entrance. Can't miss it. And it's a beautiful display. And she has plans for a memorial plaza there. And they're about $30,000 short of what they need to complete the job. It'll be done. It'll be dedicated May 26th. But we want to help finish pay off that bill for so many reasons, to to honor what Lance Sijon did for his country, to remember those who served. Right. And, again, this whole business about inspiring and, and moving it forward, that's very important to Janine and what she calls Team Sijon, these other people who have worked so hard to make this happen, teaching young kids that uh, you don't give up. And if Lance Sijon could endure what he endured, whatever you encounter in life really isn't that hard. And do your best at all times and always be ready for that challenge in your life. 
and that's something that could apply in business, in education, anywhere. So she's she's got an idea, she's got a plan, and we want to help her execute it, starting certainly with this memorial. So how do we do this? How can how can I help? How can our listeners help? Please go to WTMJ.com. Go to the WTMJ Cares page, or just go to Wisconsin's Morning News page under Shows. Either way, we will get you to the Lance Side John story. There's a page up. You can link to uh, Lance Side John, uh, his homepage that has been put up, and most importantly, can link up with the uh, page where you can make the donations, the GoFundMe page. And uh, whatever you can do, whatever you can give, a buck, five bucks, something bigger, great. We'll take whatever you can do to help make this happen. But uh, it's a story that we certainly want to share, and we're going to be doing it during the course of this month. Not only the the fundraising effort, but also the educational effort to to let people know what this war was. That's going to be one of our next installments as we do a series of features throughout the month. Just, you know, as, as I put this thing together in, in terms of telling the story it's like you know before i go any further about lance or the foundation or or the the educational efforts or or the the memorial we have to tell people what vietnam was right. and i think th- this hits home for guys like you and me because we were just a little bit too young for that yeah you know i i i have older brothers of friends who served i was with a guy just at dinner the other night who after got out of college felt he felt guilty because he had a deferment and so before he started, and he's, he's now a very, very prominent businessman, but he, he enlisted. I said, did, did you be an, op- an officer? He said, no, I, I, I carried a machine gun on the ground. He enlisted because he felt guilty that a lot of his friends had gotten drafted because they didn't have the college deferment. So he said, yeah, I was, it's 1969. I said, wow, you enlisted. But Yeah, the men and women who served were forever changed. Uh, some, they used it as a positive. I just saw you know, the Tom Brokaw piece yesterday on the Today Show where he was talking about POWs that uh, were in the Hanoi Hilton as well. That developed right. this code to communicate, and that code was used to tell the Side John story to other POWs. But uh, those men still get together; they still talk about their experiences. There are other vets that don't want to touch it; they don't right. want to go back there. And then there are guys like you and I that just missed it. I had a draft card; I was one H, one holding. I missed it by a couple of years before right. the draft went away. Yeah, and maybe it's survivor's guilt. I don't know, but I know what those people went through. We right. saw. Um, Relatives that served and and others who served that and plus they, it was the way veterans were treated when they came well, back too. Exactly. That's the the. I mean, this was they, they were not. I mean, you know, the, the stories about having to fly into Oakland on the way back and and then having to be bussed out in the middle of the night because you had all these protesters who were unable to separate the unpopularity of the war from the, the warriors. Right. They, yeah, they couldn't separate exactly. They couldn't separate the warrior from the war. And uh, those men and women served. They did what their country told them to do. How that war was prosecuted, that was a whole other issue. And, and this country was split. As um, I think it's never been split before, maybe you know, maybe even worse than we are split right now. Well, I'm looking at our page, and again, I'm looking at the page. Again, the generosity of WTMJ listeners always just blows me away. Yeah. So it's WTMJ Cares, our opportunity to help complete this Lance Sijon Memorial Plaza, um, WTMJ.com. Go, you'll see. You've got the links, and you can right. check it out and uh, make those donations. And th- this is just it's a wonderful thing that you're doing gene and i hope it i'm, I'm sure well, everybody's going to support it thank you for the time i know what uh, your your wtmj cares effort meant to you and, yeah. and how personal it was and i think all of us that take these on there's there's a connection that resonates within all of us when we commit to this it's 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 something that you care about it's something that you feel janine and team side john have done such good work so far and i just want to make sure they can keep doing it forward and we will continue to keep you updated on that but wtmj.com the wtmj cares page you can follow the links I, i'm reading all right now about the campton lance p lance p side john memorial plaza your chance to make donations 
anything helps. So um, thank you again, Mr. Miller. We'll talk to you certainly. 957, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. When we come back, all right, if you could do it, but you know it's wrong, would you still do it anyways? Stick around. It's 10.09. This is Jeff Wagner. So the other day, I I was going grocery shopping, and I was at this crowded parking lot of a particular grocery store that I was going to. And it, the, the parking spaces, again, it was at a time where there was apparently a lot of people that were going to be going shopping, which should have been my clue. But um, the, the parking spaces that were available were a decent walk from the front door. And as I'm Except as I pull in, I notice that there's a couple of disabled parking spaces that are vacant in the front. Well, obviously, I'm not going to take those. So I go and I park. As I'm walking in, I watch I watch this car whip into one of the disabled parking spaces. And I watch the person. In this case, it was a woman. That's, this isn't intended to be gender specific or anything like that. It was this woman who apparently rustles around and then puts one of those disabled placards up on on the on the, the rearview mirror, and then bounds out and starts heading into the store. Now, I appreciate that it is very very difficult to judge a book by its cover. I get that, and just because somebody doesn't have a, a visible disability doesn't mean that they're not entitled to it. But I will tell you this. I would have bet all the money in my wallet versus all the money in my producer Hondo's wallet that this this was a scam, that this was this woman was not disabled. Now, I don't know that for sure, but but it certainly it did not look like this woman needed this. I'm not saying the placard wasn't, you know, legitimately issued, but it strikes me that she probably grandmother, mother, whatever. So I watch her running. Now, obviously, I'm not going to confront this because this is one. They've got the placard that's up there. I have just seen this. So I'm, I'm watching it. Now, I bring this up because on the way back from Las Vegas over the weekend, I picked up a copy of the L.A. Times. There is a story in the L.A. Times about abuse of this. Now, it's focused in California, not in Wisconsin. But what, what they've done is they've audited the, the California disabled parking system, and the results are are just stunning. Now, in California, just like in Wisconsin, in order to obtain either a placard, and placards are what you get for people who are temporarily disabled, like if you've you've broken your leg or whatever. The plate is what you get if you're permanently disabled. Okay, so that's the difference. But here's what they found. Okay, just like in Wisconsin and L.A., a doctor certification is required to obtain a placard or a plate. Seventy-three percent of the applications that they reviewed do not fully describe the disability. Three out of four are inadequate. Eighteen percent of the doctor's signatures did not match those on file with state health boards. Um, the auditor also questioned whether over a quarter million placards issued over a three-year period were valid. They found that a lot of placards, at least 35,000, were issued to people now dead. They found that as of June last year, 26,000 people age 100 or older were holding placards that were still available, but there's only 8,000 people over 100 living in California. They found that there's no limit on the number of replacement placards a holder can receive if one is lost.
lost or stolen. They found several people who received 16 or more placards over a three-year period. Okay, let, let us be honest here. All right, I understand that you can misplace stuff from time to time, but if you've gotten 10, 15, 16 placards over a three-year period, you have not lost them all. You are passing them out to friends or family or whatever. Now, I admit that this is this is California. It's not necessarily it's not necessarily Wisconsin. But you know what? I have no doubt that if you were to do a similar audit in Wisconsin, you would find numbers that are close to this. Placards that are being issued based on doctors who aren't registered to do it. Um, repeat placards that are supposedly lost or stolen or whatever that are issued to people. Placards that aren't revoked in a timely fashion. I think this is a huge, huge scam. And again, I'm not going to get into the practice of confronting somebody who jumps out of their car and, and runs in. Because I, I understand there could be a disability that you don't see. But I've got to believe that this is one of the most incredibly abused things that are around. I have argued before that there is a special place in you-know-where for people who do stuff like this, taking disabled parking spaces. But I am here to tell you, I think this is happening on a regular basis. I think it is being grossly abused. And I think it would be interesting if some intrepid legislator started poking into the disabled way we handle disabled parking in the state, because I think they would be stunned by what they find. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Do we need to do a better job on cracking down on who gets these disabled parking stickers, the parking permits, the placards, the licenses, how long they keep them, and who they are being used by. I personally think this is one heck of a big deal. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, hold on. 1014, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1017, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Rick and Juno. Rick, good morning. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, I'd like to see them do a little better job of maybe even issuing these and also doing if there's some type of way that they could do a little follow-up or even mm-hmm. have the police when they see somebody follow up. Because in Beaver Dam, I've actually witnessed a guy that has a pickup truck with a ladder rack and yeah. ladders on it and everything else and roofing in the back, and he's the only one in the vehicle and he's hanging a placard. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. just doesn't seem right. Well, it, it doesn't. And, and again, I, I mean, look, I, I, I'm just looking at what they found in California. But my guess is the experience is going to be the same. If you have people who have, for example, requested replacement pack placards 10 or 12 times over the course of three years, you can't lose that many. That tells me that they're giving them out to friends or family members or, or whatever who are using them. That's just, I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm doing those folks a disservice, but I don't think so. <laughs> No, they might even be black marketing them. Well, exactly. I mean, and again, look, I I have no issue with, with disabled parking. I mean, I, the story I told. I mean, years and years ago, my late wife broke her leg. Okay, so 
um, you know, temporarily, she got one of these things that, you know, for, that she was able to use. Um, but I was driving her around, and, I mean, even though technically I'm driving her around, and so since she's in the car, we could use it, I would never use it. I, what we would do is I would drop her off if we were going to go grocery shopping. I would drop her off at the front door, get her out of the car, then I would go and park. I mean, because there was somebody out there that was that needed it worse than, than us. So, I mean, again, I think there's a special place, and you know where, for the people who do it. And I want those spots to be available for the people who need it. And I'm just saying, like, I'm not encouraging people to get in confrontations every time you see somebody get out of one of these cars and they don't look like they're disabled, because you don't know that. But but I got to believe there is incredible abuse going on, and I don't think what they found in California is different than what we would find in Wisconsin if we did the same thing. Let's talk to, um, let's see, Jackie in Kenosha. Jackie, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Well, I am one of those people that I have I have a form of cystic fibrosis, and I'm 55, and I look really good. So I am one of the people that, you know, right. I welcome you to approach me and say, excuse me, you know that's a disabled space, and usually I'll just go, yep, hon, I know. <laughs> um, you know, but it's okay. I'm happy to explain because I do look perfect. Right. You know, I have a daughter, a stepdaughter, however, that is in a wheelchair, and this is how the state of Wisconsin handles these placards. Now, you can get a placard for permanent disability also. Right. And my my little stepdaughter, her mother lives in Kenosha also. And I go down to the Department of Motor Vehicles every six months because her birth mother goes to the DMV and explains to them that she's lost them, and they negate my daughter's placards. And they give them to her. And she is one of these people that yeah. uses a disabled placard in front of the courthouse. I've seen her do it. Right. Even though and she's no not disabled. One says yeah. Nothing yeah. wrong with her. Yeah. You know, so, there's not one thing wrong with her. And she reports her own birth daughter's placards as being lost or stolen. Right. And they keep And get- this goes on every six months. And oh, yeah. There is, I've called the state of Wisconsin, I've called the sheriff's department, and there is nothing they can do about it. Um, yeah, and that, and thank, and seeing that, and my guess is, like, thanks to Call Jack, my guess is that type of stuff goes on on a regular basis. They certainly found it true in California, where you have the people who are, right, you can get the permanent one, and you're right with placards. The way it works is, if it's a temporary disability, you get a placard. If it's a permanent disability and you own your car, or you lease your car, you can get the license plate. Otherwise, you get one of those placards as well. But I know that there is this incredible abuse in the system. And again, I'm, I'm trying to be real careful here. I'm not saying, I, I, well, I mean, the, the truth of the matter is, okay, the experience I had the other day, I even though you can't judge a book by a cover by its cover, I have no doubt that this woman who was using this disabled spot, it was her mother's, it was her grandmother's, it was somebody. I just, I, I just, I know it. Can't prove it, but I, I know it. 414-799-1620 is the number. Kathy in Milwaukee. Kathy, good morning. Uh, good morning, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Well, I see this abuse a lot at my workplace. Um, there's never enough handicap spots, the ones that really do need it. Right. have to park further away. Right. A um, couple of people I know for a fact had surgery three years ago. Right. Uh, uh, on a foot or had a back injury and 
they still have them, and they park up front, and they'll right. run up and down the stairs, and I know for a fact they right. should not still be using them. Right, right, but they but they have them. You know, uh, one of the TV stations a number of years ago did an expose. If you, have, if you have a disabled parking sticker, you get to park for free at parking meters, and you and the time limits don't apply. So what they found is you had a number of employees who worked at some of the the office buildings downtown, like the state building and stuff, and, and they, they were using their mother or their grandmother's disabled sticker, probably passes, and what they would do is they'd park at, at a meter and just leave it all day, you know, because, because again, if you've got the disabled sticker, you can do it. I know that stuff is going on, Kathy, and it drives me crazy. It, it drives me crazy, too, and my mom had one. She's, she's passed away 12 years now, but even back then, I used to take her grocery shopping, yeah. We could never find a handicap parking. Right. Even back then, it's it's getting just ridiculous. Now. Well, well, and the, the study they did in California, you, you talk about that. Um, okay, what, what they're finding is lots of people. Um, maybe maybe it's exactly that case. Your, your mom has a, dis- a legitimate disability. Mom dies, so mom mom has the p- disabled parking pass, or maybe it's the permanent one. And then the, then kids continue to use it. You know, it's just. And uh, Oh, oh it, thanks. I mean, it, and that's what they're, that is what they are finding. And I guess I just think that this is, I think it's a big, big deal. Is this the same with going to war with North Korea? No. But this is one of these situations that I think on a daily level, I mean, we've got to get a hand, because there are people, I just, when I see people do this, or I hear about people who are doing it, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, really, do you understand what people who have legitimate disabilities have to deal with in life on a daily basis, uh, and how lucky the rest of us are that I, I can walk half a block to get to the front door of the grocery store? I mean, so I'm going to I'm gonna figure out a way to, you know, cheat somebody who's entitled to that disability thing out of it? I don't think so. Let's talk to um, Mary in Greenleaf. Mary, you're at 620 WTMJ. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mary. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, my husband is dis- disabled. He's been disabled for 30 years. We're terrible. We've just seen so many cases of abuse of this. Um, and just even on a minor basis, where people go to the shopping areas and they leave their carts in the disabled parking spot. <laughs> now, how can somebody in their right mind do this to somebody else? I... I, I, I don't know how to police it, but I would think there would be a real easy tie to somebody's license plate and renewal and proof that you still need this card. Yep, right, right. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I agree. I just think, I mean, thanks. I, here, here's what I think is going on here. Um, because this is a well-intentioned program, right? You You don't, obviously, you don't want to make it too difficult for somebody who has a disability to have to jump through hoops to, to get this because that's kind of like adding insult to injury you know you 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 get the again you you know the, the doctor signs off on the stuff you don't want to make it too difficult but the problem is that opens this system up to incredible fraud because you want to make it easy for people to get this and so then I mean when, when I'm hearing this stuff in California about how you know they keep people just keep reporting these things as stolen um, and getting new ones I mean what really 
I mean, you're seriously doing that? Or the disability isn't appropriately described or all these different things. Or you've got a bunch of dead people, that you know, thousands and thousands of dead people that still have these valid things and nobody's checking on it. Now, I understand for some people, all right, mom has the permit, mom dies. You know, when you're doing all the other stuff, you're going to throw out that permit. But unfortunately, there's all sorts of people who are also out there using them. Ah, it, it drives me crazy. It is something that I think needs to be cracked down on, period. 1027, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, coming up, I know a lot of people want to weigh in on this, but it, it just it is what it is. But but I will tell you, if you've ever wondered whether there is systematic abuse going on, like I say, audits of the system have found exactly that. And if it's going on in California, with all due respect, I don't think there's necessarily more disabled parking cheaters in California per capita than there are in Wisconsin. Maybe this is something somebody in the legislature should check out. All right, coming up next. You know it's wrong. Would you do it anyway? Stick around. It's 1027. 1034, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. President Trump says he's not opposed to an increase in the nation's gas tax in order to help pay for infrastructure projects. Do you agree? Do you think Governor Walker should follow the president's lead here in Wisconsin? Scafidi and Billstead dive in at 135 this afternoon. Um, I think it's a non-starter in Wisconsin. I think Governor Walker recognizes that Republicans did not get elected to raise taxes, and I don't see that happening here, but federal level, who knows? All right. When it comes to some things, I am a very patient man. When it comes to other stuff, I have the patience of a fruit fly. I freely acknowledge that. One one of the things that I am not particularly patient about, I, I don't – when it comes to television watching – there's a lot of really good TV shows that are out there nowadays, and a lot of them, I, I was thinking about this because one of the shows I like now is the sort of prequel to Breaking Bad, which I thought was a great show that, that's airing on AMC, Better Call Saul. They do 10 episodes a year, and, and it's only 10, and, and I, I always I kind of hate waiting for them to, to come out, and then they come out, and they, they roll. It's a slow. It's a show that's very, very good if you're invested in it. But it's also really, really, it's it's a slow-moving show. But it's really, really good. But, you know, you, like I watched the show last night. So I, I was home. I watched the show last night. And I thought, I want to see what comes next. I want to see the show that comes. I want to see what's next. But I can't see the show that's next because it's not going to air until next week. So I'm going to have to wait a week to see that. There's a number of TV shows that are out there like that. Some of them. I don't even watch when they're in the first run because then I just catch up and I binge and I watch all 10 shows at once. But I I hate that waiting for the shows. And for a lot of the shows that you really like, you have to do that. All right. So that's the background on this story. Back in the day, I was watching this movie called The Aviator the other day, which is the old Leonard DiCaprio movie where he plays Howard Hughes. And before Howard Hughes became like this recluse billionaire, Howard Hughes was in the movie business. And he, he filmed this very, very expensive movie, and they shot thousands and thousands and thousands of rolls of film. And the way they used to produce movies, and this up until not that long ago, is is you'd have the, just the canister after canister of film. And what would happen is you'd sit in the editing room and editors would like physically chop chop up the film and splice it together. That's how we used to do things on the radio. When I first started doing the radio, you would 
you know, you would, the, the producers, this would be the royal we, the producers would actually, you, you'd put stuff on tape, and then what they do is they'd actually physically splice the tape to take stuff out. Nowadays, everything is digital. You don't do anything on tape anymore. But whether it's movies or radio, you know, the recordings or whatever. So nowadays, what happens is, in, and I, I don't claim to be an expert in this. I quickly get beyond my depth. But what happens is everything is digital. So you, you film a TV show, uh, and I say film in quotation marks, whatever. You, you, you tape the TV show or whatever. And then what happens is the show gets edited. You have, I mean, sound that's added to it and music that's added to it. And, and my understanding is it, it's not like canisters of film are rolling around. It's all digital. It's all done on computers, and it's all shipped from one and it's like digitally transferred so okay I, i'm doing one thing with it and then all right i've got my stuff done so then what i do is i don't know it's probably an email or whatever but you know i electronically transfer i digitally transfer the show over to you know hondo who's now going to add whatever he's going to add and so it's all done digitally nowadays it's all done on computers all right well here's here's the story one of the very, very popular shows on Netflix is a show that I, I've only watched it once or twice. It's called Orange is the New Black, and it's a show that's – it's one of these serialized shows. It's set in a woman's prison, and um, the fifth season of the show is due to be released next month. And the way it happens is Netflix will drop – Netflix comes out, and they drop all the shows at once. So once they're available, you don't have to wait – you don't have to wait a week between shows like on a regular broadcast TV, but you have to wait until Netflix Netflix puts them all out there. So Orange is the New Black is supposed to be the new shows are going to, for the new season that people have been waiting a year for are going to be released sometime next month. And, of course, you have to have Netflix. That, that's one of the incentives to subscribe to Netflix is because you can, you can get Orange is the New Black or you can get the um, – the, uh, you know some of the other shows that that they have that they specifically produce. Well, apparently, what happened over the weekend, this happened on Saturday, is that a person or group calling himself itself the Dark Overlord goes on Twitter on Saturday, saying that they had hacked into one of the studios where the Orange Is the New Black show was being worked on. And that they had, they had gotten access to nine of the twelve shows. They then posted one of the shows, um, first of all, on this file sharing website called the Pirate Bay, and they said the reason they did it is because they had demanded money from Netflix. And, and they, they released this whole series of things. They said, we have nine of the 12 episodes, and unless you pay us $66,000, we are going to release them on this file-sharing network. And you will lose millions of dollars because, you know, why will people subscribe to Netflix if they can do this? And so um, apparently Netflix told them to, to pound sand. So then they send another uh, text, and it says, let's be more direct Netflix. And so what they then did is they released then eight, because Netflix refused to pay a ransom, they released um, nine more episodes 
of the of season five. And then they put out this tweet, it, whether it's an individual person or whatever. It didn't have to be this way, Netflix. You're going to lose a lot more money in all of this than what our modest offer was. We're quite ashamed to breathe the same air as you. And then what they said is that they have they have done the same thing with um, network programs. Um, they say we're not done. ABC, Fox, IFC, Netflix. Um, we've got more shows that we have done this for, and unless all these stations give us money, all these networks give us money, we're going to release them on the file-sharing networks. Okay, here's what I think is interesting about this story. And again, I started this by talking about how I, I hate to wait week to week to see this. I, I hate – I'm going to go see the Guardians of the Galaxy movie that you know on Saturday. I mean, I, I just I, – I hate to wait for this stuff. I, I want to see it. I would love to know what's going to happen on next week's um, next week's edition of Better Call Saul. But I'm wrestling with this whole concept. Here you have this group of hackers, which has violated copyright law, which has you know gone in. They've illegally seized the, the, this product that's worth a lot of money, and then they've put it up for free because Netflix won't pay the ransom. And I've been thinking about this, and, you know, maybe I'm a chump, but there is no way, there is no way that I would go to one of these file-sharing sites and download and use, no matter how much I want to see the show, I don't think I could live with myself if I went and, and did this and took it off these file-sharing things when I know that the product belonged to somebody else, and had been stolen. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Now, I didn't steal it, but, I mean, to me, this is nothing more than, again, if I if I knew somebody had broken into your house and stole really, really good liquor and then brought it over to my place and said, Jeff, I've got all this, I've stolen this stuff, um, let, let's let's have a drink. This is really expensive. This is some of this. This is this kind of bourbon that you you just can't get. And if you get it, you got to pay five hundred dollars a bottle for it. Let's drink it. I, I wouldn't do it. I couldn't do that, knowing that this was essentially stolen property. And yet, I have no doubt that there were hundreds, maybe thousands, who knows how many people who were rushing to this file sharing site, knowing that the stuff had been stolen. And they were willing to do it because, again, hey, I can see what's going to happen before it, it gets released. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. We, we all complain about hacking and things like that. But the people who download this stuff, the people who go knowing that it's stolen, they're the ones that essentially, I think, contribute to this whole problem by by essentially greenlighting it, by creating incentive for people to do this. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage uh, talk and text line. Hondo sends a note. These pirates think they're hurting Netflix, but they're only hurting the artists who've worked very hard to put these programs together. Um, All right. Will you be patient? Will you wait for the broadcasters and Netflix to release it? Or... Or do you just, I have to have it, I didn't steal it, what the heck? 414-799-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just couldn't live myself by doing it. Just like I couldn't enjoy that bourbon if, if I knew somebody had broken into somebody's house and stole it, even though I didn't do it, 
I couldn't bring myself to watch or to drink it. We discuss next. If you're on the line, hold on. 1045, Jeff Wagner. 1048, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ in about 20 minutes. Should we give up on the wall once and for all? Karen in Illinois. Karen, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Uh, yeah. I, not only would I be like you, Jeff, and not do it, I would be afraid of what viruses, malware, and other <laughs> nasty things would end up on my computer as a result. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so right. If these hackers have been willing to extort money from a production company, break in and steal their product and then put it up. Yeah, what else is <laughs> right? What else might be attached to that? And how badly could it screw up your computers? Yeah, exactly. And I and I hope that these hackers, if they can ever find them, are prosecuted. Yeah. Now, the problem I mean, thanks. The problem, Karen, is that they. In the stories I've been reading about this, because of the, the way the ransom notes are, are written and the spellings, they think they think it's a group or person or group in the United Kingdom. That's where they, they think it is, again, because of, again, some of the terminology that's used in these things. But that's the problem. It's this worldwide thing. So, you know, if you've got somebody in China or Vietnam or, you know, you know, South Saharan, you know, Africa or or the United Kingdom, because it's global and because we're all connected on the internet. Even if you identify them, how do you end up prosecuting them? But I think you have just a very good practical point. Who knows what comes with this? But the the larger point is, I just think it's 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 wrong. And and by participating, by downloading the stuff, by using and taking advantage and uh, of things that you know are stolen. All you really do is encourage the thieves. Um, let's see. Justin writes, this is pure and simple grand theft and extortion. And those who seek out viewing such stolen material should consider themselves as accessories to receiving stolen property. I think there is something to that. Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, you're on 620 WTMJ. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, per- personally, I do believe it is stealing, but I don't think that you know companies like Netflix or AMC or any of them are going to really lose out any, uh, any money. Tell me why. When, well, when they release them on Blu-ray, DVD, and all that, they release bonus content or alternate scenes. Mm. Uh, with uh, The Walking Dead, for instance, yeah. uh, when they introduced the character Negan, uh, it was a much different scene, a much more adult right. theme scene, with the uh, language-wise. You're not going to get that as, you know... Like AMC. Well, and I and I think that's and I, I mean I, I understand what you're saying is that you know you could also make the argument that maybe you know the the publicity about this encourages somebody to go back and then want to watch like the first four seasons of Orange is the New Black. So I mean I I, I understand that there's that kind of argument, but. I got to believe, though, let's say this becomes a widespread thing. There's still like lots of casual fans of the show mm-hmm. and, and the way, you know, the way these shows generate their revenue. OK, TV, like broadcast TV or cable, you know, it, it's ratings. It's people who watch them. And I guess the thing is, you know, if, if you if you watch the premiere of Orange is the New Black, or, or, let's take my Better Call Saul example. If you know, if I if if. I were to be able to watch Better Call Saul, the show that's going to air next Monday night. If I was able to watch it tonight, I probably wouldn't watch it again Monday. So, I mean, that does it does hurt the ratings for the show. It does somewhat, yeah. Yeah, no, thank, I'm going to get right. I, you know, is it going to break them? No, but but I, I guess what, what struck me about this, and I, I've actually been trying to figure out, 
how many downloads of this stolen stuff there, there was. And, and so far, I, I haven't been able to determine that they actually have a number. But my guess is it's going to be in the thousands. And, and this is coming with people who know that this is stolen. It, it's not a secret. We know that these people have hacked in. We know that they have stolen this type of information. And I guess I, I just sort of wonder whether the people who are willing to do this, to take the stolen property, I mean, how would they feel, for example, if – you know, their accounts were hacked into and their social security numbers were put up on, on the Internet for people to then go and gain access to. I mean, I think, look, I, I understand the Internet is the Wild West out there, uh, but at the same time, there is also a little bit of the golden rule. I think that, you know, you treat others like you'd like to, yourself to be treated. And I just I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it, but maybe that makes me an exception. It's ten, and you know, and you can decide for yourself. But um, I'm, I'm going to wait for the show to come out. I'm not going to try to essentially steal intellectual property from somebody else and benefit from it. Spoken from somebody who makes a living with what they call intellectual property. It's ten fifty three. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's 1056, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, coming up in about 10 minutes. Should we give up on the wall once and for all? Then a little bit later on, the latest threat to American education, fidget spinners. Hondo, do you know what a fidget spinner is? You do, yes, because you have not been living in a cave. But but I, Jane Matinair, do you know what a fidget, Jane Matinair knows what a fidget spinner is as well, because neither one of them live in caves. All right, we're going to talk about fidget spinners coming up in just a little bit as well. Hey, this was the news that broke um, when I was away over the weekend. Um, as long as we're talking about popular culture and media, um, ESPN, massive, massive layoffs. ESPN laid off over 100 people recently, and it's really, it appears to just be the start um, of of this a lot of regular fixtures on ESPN gone. I mean, laid off over a hundred people. But the reason is because ESPN, which up until a few years ago was a license to print money, the whole dynamic has changed. ESPN signed these big deals. Um, they, they get like one NFL game a week, and it's usually an awful game. And um, they're, they're paying twice what any net other network pays to air pro football. They've got a 12-year, $7.3 billion contract to the rights to the college football playoffs, $2.6 billion a year for the NBA, new deal with the Big Ten, it's $2.6 billion. The problem, though, is that more and more people are cutting the cord. So what happens is you've got, like, the cable companies, the satellite companies, and it used to be everybody had to have ESPN. So ESPN charged the satellite companies, the cable companies, um, sometimes five or six times more than any other network did. But the cable companies paid it and then passed it on to those of us who are the consumers because everybody had to have ESPN. Now more and more people are saying, hey, we don't need ESPN. We, we can get highlights through all these other different things or over the Internet or whatever, and you take away the need for highlights and ESPN, well, okay, it's just it's just like any other sort of entertainment channel, or we can get some of the games they offer in other ways. Bottom line is ESPN has been hemorrhaging money, and it appears it is going to continue to do so. So for everybody who's, who's used to, every sports fan who's been used to spending the last, 10, 15, 20 years watching ESPN, get ready for some massive changes. Not only are the faces going to change, not only is the content going to change, but chances are 
maybe it's not even going to be available unless you're willing to pay a premium. Oh, how times have changed. Okay, coming up in less than 10 minutes, is it time to give up the idea of the wall once and for all? And then the controversy over fidget spinning. Stick around. 1059, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1108, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Glad to have you with us. All right. One of the centerpieces of the Donald Trump presidential campaign was we are going to build a wall. It is going to be a big, beautiful wall. It is going to run the length of the Mexico-U.S. border. Now, the length of the U.S.-Mexico border is about 2,200 miles. Much of it is uninhabitable. And because of of the nature of of the way land ownership is set up, um, in in some cases, if you – there's people who own property on either side of of the border. So if you built this wall, you would be talking about building a wall, bisecting some people's property. Um, When I first heard now President Trump talk about it, as I've said before, I thought this was a metaphor. I mean, we're we're going to build a, a wall. We're going to develop an impenetrable system to stop illegal immigration. But I, I was wrong. He's he's not using that term as a metaphor. He's not talking about electronic surveillance and planes and stuff to build this. He's talking about building a physical wall. And during the campaign, the promise was we're going to make Mexico pay for it, to which Mexico ha- has issued a very sort of terse response using a word that I cannot use on on the on the radio. Well, all right, but that nevertheless that has been something that President Trump has continued to to push. Now, I have said all along that I think that there are certainly areas of the border where whether it's the fences that you have now or walls would would in fact be appropriate. I've just always argued that it doesn't make sense to build something along the whole 2,200 miles. Also, the, the, the reality is that a lot of the land along the border is privately owned, which means that you would have to – we have this thing called eminent domain, which is where the government can go and take your property for the public good. That's how you that's how you get roads built. That's how you get, you know, schools built and things like that. But it's a relatively cumbersome process and the government has to pay you fair market value. And if you don't if you don't agree with what the government's doing and you want to fight it, you have the right to go to court. And already down in Texas, there's a lot of landowners who have already done preemptive strikes. They're starting to sue saying we we don't want we don't want our property taken to build a, a wall. All right, so that's that's the background. But nevertheless, President Trump has been pushing this. Well, in the continuing resolution to keep the government operating until September, um, while there was money included for border security, there wasn't any money allocated to build the wall. So right now, the wall is in limbo because um, President Trump said, okay, well, I'm going to make Mexico pay for this, but it then became modified, that I, but we, we might have to front the costs, and I'll get it back from them you know, later on. So Mexico isn't paying. There's not money allocated to, to actually start constructing the wall, and there's probably not going to be until at least September. All right, 414. 414- Seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think, once and for all, and feel free to disagree with me, 
it's time to abandon the idea of actually building a physical wall across the length of the Texas, uh, across the length of the United States-Mexican border. Uh, Again, we have fences, and there might be some areas where a fence, a wall, whatever, is completely and totally appropriate. But the idea of trying to, again, fight with landowners and figure out where you're going to get the billions of dollars necessary to do this, I mean, I just think the reality of it is it's not going to happen. And with lawsuits over eminent domain and all this other stuff, you're going to be tied up in the courts for at least a few years on this. I think maybe it's time, and I'm all about border security, don't get me wrong, I think it is maybe time for a tactical retreat. Start talking about the wall in terms of what I thought it should have originally been talked about. That is, again, this metaphor, we're going to have security, we're going to build an impenetrable wall, some physical, some electronic, whatever. To me, that just makes a lot more sense and is a lot more practical. Should we give up on the physical wall across the entire length of the border once and for all? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Um, I will tell you, no Democrats are supporting this, and a lot of Republicans have a lot of the reservations which I have just expressed, which doesn't mean any of us, or at least I'm not, soft on the whole question of illegal immigration. It's just a question of, you know, how... Is this the best way to spend money? 414, should we give this up once and for all and then move on to what I think are more practical ways to try to secure our borders? Keith in Brookfield, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hello. Hi, Keith. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Well, I, I think the, the, the wall idea was kind of a mistake to begin with. We, we all know that, and we know that uh, they know how to tunnel anyway, so I don't think it would be true or too many people. And uh, when I was in Arizona, I'm not sure on this recently, too, another point was uh, there are a lot of Native American Indians in Arizona that own land on yep. the border. Right. They're, they're, you, you, you'd, have to go, right you'd have to go through reservations, and, and that yep. brings in the whole area of, yep. of, of, and, <laughs> of Indian and law. And, right. and they're definitely, I know I was there, not into the wall idea. Well, they're I, not going to let them do it. And I don't, I don't know, you, you might know the legal part on I don't know if you can use intimate domain on a reservation. Yeah, I don't. Right. The uh, thanks for call. The the whole um, what what they refer to as Indian law. That's the term that's used to describe it. Is a that that's a whole that that's a whole completely different entity in into itself because it's based on uh, again the different agreements and the treaties and things like that. But it, no, it's it's clearly it's clearly an obstacle um, to to doing these types of things. I guess to me. Is is the question? Can can the president back away from this? Because that was such a, a signature. Even if he wanted to back away from it, would would those of the would would people who supported him the most ardently would they view this as a betrayal? Or because you know we've had the promises, do we have to go ahead and do this? Okay, Greg and Wawatosa. Greg, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Greg. How are you? I'm well, thank I have you. A, I have a little bit different angle here sure. because I worked on the Mexican border for several years. Where, where were you based? Uh, I was based out of San Antonio. Okay. I was sure. a regional director, and so I had to do business in places like Nuevo Laredo. Okay, sure. Okay. 
so uh, what I would do is I think that we ought to build the wall, quite frankly. Uh, I've been there, seen what goes on, um, and I think we get Mexico to pay for it by saying that if they don't, we're going to repeal the McKigliadora Act. Mm-hmm. You know what that is? Yes. Yes, I okay? do. That goes 50 miles around the entire place of Mexico. And when I was in the Huevo Laredo, there were 56 plants alone that were American companies that employed anywhere between 200 and several thousand workers working for six days a week, 10 hours a day for $30 a week. Uh, no trial labor laws, no environmental protection laws, uh, pretty bad conditions. And uh, I, I attended the general manager's meetings every Monday, uh, once a month, where they decided on work conditions and pay so those people can go from one plant to the other and the pay grade is the right. same. The, the, so, Greg, let me ask you this. And, and, and as I was saying in the lead up to this, I understand that there are, are places along the border where a physical barrier, wall, fence, whatever, would, would make sense. But, you know, 2,200 miles is a long space. A lot of the stuff is uninhabitable. Do you really think you need a, a, a physical wall across the entire length of the border? Well, what I, essentially what I would do is I would do it in a five-year plan whereby I would look at, like mm-hmm. right now, I was just talking to one of my friends that lives in Tucson, Arizona, which mm-hmm. used to be a very, very safe place for people to retire to. Right. Now what happens is there is a number of people who are coming through there, and it's become a very dangerous place that yep. was just... There were murders in Surprise, Arizona, where they've never been murders right. before. Yeah, a lot, so, lot, lot of drugs coming through. At, yes. at Tucson has a huge problem, yes. Yes, they have a huge problem. So I would look at strategically places where the wall needs to be put up physically and yeah. allocate money for that. Yes. And then in the other places, there's no doubt, one of my best friends was a high-ranking uh, uh, officer in the Border Patrol. And... It, Part of the biggest problem that we had during the Obama administration was people used to, he would tell me, Greg, the people that come across the border, they don't run away from us. They run to right. us and ask for sanctuary right. because if we ask for sanctuary, then we have to not only give them sanctuary, but we also have to give them, we have to give them uh, right. food and clothing. Right. We don't turn them away and just send them back. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's part of the problem is how we were applying the laws that are in yeah. existence, and we need a lot more of those people down there. There's there's yeah. absolutely no way that we can provide uh, border security with the number of people we have that are supposed to be doing that right now. Right, and see, right, and see, I don't, I don't disagree with anything you said. I, and again, I'm, but, but that's why. Uh, let, let's let's find. That's why. I, I mean, I agree. There are there are areas where you have people that are prone to cross. I'm not saying you don't I don't not, I'm not saying you don't put up, you know, physical a physical barrier at certain places. I, I think that makes sense. But that's what I would like to see. Let's have there's there's already I mean there, there's fences that are up now. I mean that we have what but let let's say, okay, where are the areas where it makes sense to have this physical this physical impediment? And then I'm with you. Let's concentrate on, on that as opposed to worrying about 2,200 miles, which is a long, long way, um, much of which, like I say, is uninhabitable. People aren't going to try to cross it anyways, or because of just the geography of it, it, it's impossible or very, very difficult. I guess nothing's impossible when it comes to building stuff, but very, very difficult. And and, and that's not where people are crossing anyhow. What I would say is, okay, concentrate on 
I don't know. I, out of 2,200 miles, maybe there's 300 miles where a fence really would make a big difference. And then the same thing you're talking about. Let, let's make sure you've got lots of border agents down there. Let's increase that. Let's increase the surveillance that we have. Let's do all those type of things. But let's be smart with the money. I mean, I'm not saying don't spend money, but let's be smart with the money and figure out how can we get the most bang from our buck. And I will be honest with you, I mean, just erecting a wall in largely an uninhabitable part of of the border where nobody is coming across anyways, that to me doesn't strike me as, as being the most efficient way to spend the money. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1120. This is Jeff Wagner. 1122, Jeff Wagner, 620 WPMJ. It appears more and more likely that there's not going to be a physical wall built along the 2,200 miles of the border between the United States and Mexico. Even in some of his most recent comments, President Trump appears to be backing away from that a little bit. There will be portions of the wall built, and I don't have a problem with that. But this idea that you build a physical wall, I, I just I always thought it was a non-starter. To me, it doesn't make any sense to have a physical wall along all that space. Some of it, sure. Joan in Neosha. Joan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I went to two recent Sensenbrenner meetings, and I spoke about the wall. I said it's utter foolishness to spend our tax dollars on that wall. And he had an excuse that the Mexicans are going to pay for it with the drug money that we're going to get. And uh, this is such an asinine <laughs> idea. It, the government just doesn't know how to spend our money anymore. Well, I mean, and right, the estimates are... in debt. Well, the, the estimate, thanks for calling. I mean, the estimates are, like, depending, you know, I, I think most most people seem to think that it would be some Republicans have this really low ball. Some Democrats have it really over the, the top. I, I think the common estimate is around 35 to 40 B as in billion dollars. Look, if, if, we can, if we can figure out a way to get Mexico to help underwrite border security, I am all in favor of that. And, and I certainly applaud the president with efforts to do that, or if Congressman Sensenbrenner's talking about drug money. I, I think that's great. But even if that were the case, let's say that we can figure out a way to get $25 billion somehow or other from Mexico. My argument would still be the same. Put it into border security. God bless. That That's tremendous. I'm just, again, I don't think, I don't think fighting this battle to build a wall all along the border is the best way to spend that money. I would much rather have, I would much rather take a portion of that money and hire more border agents and, you know, buy more, you know, helicopters with, you know, infrared equipment and more planes and those type of things. That, that's, that's how I think you do it. Do you build a wall in certain areas? Of course. That, that just, that makes, that makes eminent sense. But, I don't know, especially if you want to get something done quickly, because, again, this is the other reality that sometimes people just don't like to hear. But things move slowly. 
and um, the courts move slowly. And there's already all these lawsuits, like I say, that are being filed in Texas by these property owners for whom the wall would go, the proposed wall would go right through their property. And this is Texas. And they don't like the government coming in and taking their stuff. So I, will the government ultimately be able to succeed? Yeah, I guess, you know, maybe. But th- this isn't something that's going to happen today, tomorrow, or or in a couple months, um, even if you were to proceed with this, which just, again, makes me wonder, if you've got this money, could we spend it better somewhere else? And you know what the truth is? I was looking at a poll the other day. The majority, the vast majority of people who voted for President Trump um, and, and who probably believe that, that just uh, the, the border wall, you know, as stated, an actual wall would be great. They're, it's not, they're not going to be disappointed. The vast majority of people said, hey, we never really expected the wall to get built, and it's not like we're going to turn on President Trump if, if it can't be built. Um, at some point in time, you just have to recognize, okay, there's this campaign rhetoric, and it's a good message. Okay, border security, it's now how you go about doing it. Hey, coming up in a few minutes... Fidget spinners. Colleen Boland, do you know what a fidget spinner is? I've just heard about this recently. Have your, your have your kids gone the fidget spinner route yet? I think they want to. They haven't they... gone the route quite yet, but I've just heard of these. All right. Fidget spinners. It is the big thing of the last three months we will be discussing. It's um, 1127. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1134, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. What are the best things about Milwaukee in the month of May? Our own Colleen Boland came up with her top six things that make the Brew City so special this month. Check out her list on the Scafidi and Bill Stats show page at 620WTMJ.com. Okay, fidget spinners. This is, if you would have Googled the term fidget spinner in December, nothing would have come up. This now is the hottest, the hottest toy around. And let me, let me kind of describe it for you. Um, when when I was a kid, and I think they still have these toys out there. They used to have the, these things, these, these pinwheels. And what they were was you'd have okay, you'd have a you'd have a stick, and then a pinwheel would be like a little plastic thing with leaves or prongs or whatever that was attached to the stick, and you would spin it, and the pinwheel would spin around. All right. The, the fidget spinners are kind of a version of that. What they they are is they're palm size. They're palm size, so it's small. You hold it, and in in the center is a ball bearing. And most of them are plastic. These things typically you can spend as much as twenty dollars on them. I'm just I'm looking at all these websites that have them, but most of them are really cheap plastic things. They're a couple bucks, and it's so you've got a ball bearing in the middle, and then you have they can be two, but mostly it's three prongs coming out the, the ball bearing. There's like three like plastic prongs, and they've got little tiny weights at the end of each prong. So what you do is you – it's about as low-tech as you get. You put, you hold the, the spinner between your, your thumb and your forefinger or your middle finger or however you choose to do this, and you, you push the little bearing in, and then like with your other hand, you spin the prongs. And it spins, right? It's it's like a pinwheel, sort of. Um, all right. Now you might ask, why why is this so this hot? Well, originally the these fidget spinners were were being sold as, as aids for people with um, like attention deficit disorder. 
Because, you know, if you got ADHD, you could, it, you know, it'd be something to help kind of distract you or whatever. Um, they're also marketed as aids for people with anxiety or autism or, you know, w- whatever. In some respects, not really any different than I come in here every day with my little stress ball that I squeeze. Every, you know, so, I mean, it's it's just, it's something, I guess, to do, you know, with your your hands. So this this has been just incredible. This, this has exploded. Um, and you've got a number of teachers, and kids are bringing these things to class. And it, it's like I was talking to, I don't know if she said, Colleen said it on the air, but she, you know, she's got two kids. And she was saying, yeah, her, these are now making the rounds of the daughter's class. And a couple of people show up with them, and now everybody wants to have them. So people are bringing these things to school. Um, there, there's one teacher in one of the stories I'm looking at saying, I don't call it a fidget spinner. I call it an annoying spinny thing. <laughs> and if you bring the annoying spinny thing um, into my classroom, it will live in my desk drawer. So th- this is this is it. All these people are bringing these these things in. All these kids are bringing them into school, and they're all fidgeting. So they're all sitting in class, and they're all spinning these things constantly. Now there are obviously. Again, if you have a kid that's got ADHD or something like that or autism or whatever, there, there might be some relaxing type of element to help you focus because just like I'm squeezing my stress ball now, you know, it might help you help you focus and it could benefit, you know, some of these kids. But the truth of the matter is the overwhelming majority of the kids who are bringing these to school, they, they don't have ADHD. They, that's not the, the situation. They're just bringing them because this is is a craze. And more and more classrooms aren't buying into this thing about um, fidget therapy. And what they're saying is, hey, we're noticing the, these toys. Almost all the older students have multiple devices, and and now we're banning these because these are a distraction and we are treating them like like it's a toy so you can't have them at class and this is now generating this huge blowback oh but this helps the kids focus it gives them something to do with their hands how annoying can it possibly be all right 414-799-1620 that is the accurate mortgage talk and text line Schools all across the country are banning these little fidget spinners that I've described in the best possible way I can because the teachers say they're annoying, they are distracting, they do not belong in the classroom. Some people say, well, these help kids, it it helps them focus, it gives them something to do with their hands. Uh, These schools are, in fact, overreacting. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this conflict much ado about nothing? Is this just this latest craze? Should we care if people are sitting in the classes, kids sitting in their classes, pull it, pushing in the ball bearing and spinning these things? Is that, in fact, a distraction? What do you think? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's the war over fidget spinners, and we are back to discuss it next. If you are on the line, please hold on. It's 1140. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 
1143, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Fifteen years ago, seven-year-old Alexis Patterson disappeared during her walk to school and was never heard from again. On the anniversary of this mystery, John McCure speaks with those closest to the case, family, friends, law enforcement, and even the man many believe to be the leading suspect. Don't miss this special edition of Wisconsin's Afternoon News. It is tomorrow from 3 to 6 here on WTMJ. John is also going to be in with us uh, during this hour of the program tomorrow to help uh, promote this. I, I know some of the stuff he's done as part of this. It's just absolutely amazing. It'll be it'll be must-listen to radio. Um, in addition, 1015 tomorrow, we're scheduled to be joined by Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan. So check that out. Look, here's where I come down on these fidget spinner things. I, I accept the idea that for kids with attention deficit disorder they, they they could be effective or kids with autism but but that's that's not who's using these things exclusively you know the, these stories are out there this is the current fad it is the current trend they say they go into these classrooms and, and almost all if not all the kids are are playing with these things i think that is a distraction so I mean I have no issues with the the hyperactive kid or the kid with attention disorder doing that but that's not what this has been and talk about distractions I can imagine you know how a teacher would feel if you're sitting there and you're trying to teach the class and everybody's sitting there spinning these things and spinning these things 4147991620 is the Acunet mortgage uh, talk and text line let's start with Rick in Milwaukee Rick you're first Hey Jeff Hi, how you doing Good um I mentioned to your <clears throat> your fellow catching calls at uh-huh. Bruce City Promotions. We do a ton of crazy stuff for the city in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. beer and whatever. And we're we're currently marketing that digit digit touch, and it's quite. Um, it, it, we in a couple of days we've sold over fifty thousand. Over fi- over fifty thousand. How much how much are you charging for? I'm just curious. I you know I'm in my car. Okay. It's, it's around four dollars. Yeah. I'm guessing somewhere in there. Right. Yeah. That's. Uh, I mean, you can spend as much as twenty, but most of the ones I'm looking at on the internet are between two bucks and six bucks or so. Right. I mean, so it's a cheap sort of thing to have. Yeah. 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 And ours is mainly to companies that want to put out something with their logo on it. Right. That people can sit and fidget and digit with. You know, it's a, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, a little, a little of that easy, easy, whatever it is. Well, that, uh, well, right. And see, and, and I, I mean. It's, Look, I, I mean, I, look, I, I get lazy. I'm, I'm squeezing a stress ball now, and I really don't have stress. I, I don't. I, I, I don't, but it's just kind of something to do with my hands while I'm doing the radio show. So, I, I mean, I, I get that, uh, but I'm trying to imagine if you are a teacher in a classroom and you've got 20 kids and they all don't have, they're all not autistic. They all don't have, you know, ADHD. They're just sitting there and they're all just spinning these things over and over and over again. I understand why the one teacher would say, okay, this is, these are these annoying spinny things. And, you know, we, we don't let people bring toys into the classroom to play. And I, I understand that they're, they're toys. They, they do have a use for some kids, but that's not true for most of them. Do they belong in the classrooms? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Kimberly in Brookfield. Kimberly, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So I, yeah, we live in the Elmbrook School District, and I have four kids. Right. Three in elementary school. Uh, one with ADHD. Right. And actually, you know, before the spinners, there were the cubes. I don't know if you've heard of those. Right. Yeah. Clickers and there are buttons you can push and. Uh, the other thing that's going on right now is silly putty in the classroom. So some kids bring in these little <laughs> tins of silly putty or the spinners. Those are the two things I've seen right now. So for one, for my 10-year-old, it, it does work for him. So he um, he gets kind of anxious in a classroom setting, and his fingers, right. he gets fidgety. He's stressed, so he tends to kind of stress and um, right. 
flex his fingers. And so what's nice is that he has this cube in his hand, and so he can focus less on his fingers and the right. anxiety around that and more on the teacher. So totally for him. Right. For my other three, no. <laughs> they don't need it. But I will say it becomes, now that everyone in the classroom is having it, you know, it's now more of a distraction for my 10-year-old than it is helping him. Oh, because he, right, he's watching everybody else play with theirs, I would imagine, yeah. Right. Exactly, yeah. So I would say, you know, as, as great as it is, you know, and I would love to see maybe children with 504 plans or IEPs have that built in that they need a fidget. Right. But for the kids who don't have those plans in place, that, you know, it's, it's a distraction. Happen. Yeah, th- th- that's my only point. I mean, right, I, I, that's my only point. I mean, it's, I, again, I appreciate that there, there's a value, for, like you're saying, for your son, it, but it's it's everybody else. It's just a toy that they're playing with in class. Okay, I have to ask you, right. silly putty? I mean, yeah. I remember growing up with silly putty. What do you do with silly putty in a classroom? I mean, silly putty's kind of messy and... Yeah, so it's this different kind of silly putty where they okay. stretch. It changes colors with the warmth of your fingers, and you can buy it at, like, Learning Express and Brooklyn, Okay. But- that's just new. I've just seen that over the last couple of weeks since these spinners came, too. And so I was in the classroom the other day, and I saw, you know, one boy was stretching it as long as his arm length. And oh. I can see where, you know, maybe having that, I can see where there's this relaxation kind of piece to it to kids who need it. But, again, I think it's oh. being taken advantage of and abused and so oh, oh yeah i mean if, if i was sitting in a classroom and the teacher's up there and the kid in front of me has a thing of silly putty that he's now stretching out stretching his arms out to see how long the thing could go i'm going to be paying attention yeah. to that kid i'm going to be watching hey how long does that stuff stretch you know yeah. what i used to love about silly putty i used to love that you could take the sunday funnies the color things and you could press it on there and it would soak it up and you get and you'd get the funnies that's that's really good thanks for taking me back i remember silly putty i mean okay slinkies is that going to be the next thing here we're going to play with slinkies at our desks let's talk to debbie in pewaukee debbie you're on 620 wtmj good morning hi jeff thanks hi, for taking my call sure. um my daughter is a college student and she also works in a middle school and they are completely banned in her middle school except if it's in their iep or right. something like that sure. you, you, right, you have a need yeah yeah but my daughter has two of the fidget cubes just because you know, college students, she's an, it's a novelty thing. Right. And their key rings, she was going to get one for a girlfriend of hers. They are back-ordered till after Christmas. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that just, I mean, I mean I'm, um, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm on one of the websites, like the Google websites. I mean, shop for mm-hmm. fidget spinners. There's page after page after mm-hmm. page of these things. And, again, they, they range in price from, you know, two or three or four bucks up to twenty or twenty-five dollars for these I things. I think the cubes are now running around ten, is what she told me, and you can't get them. And you see them on all the backpacks with the kids in college. I, I just, you know, I, I get I, now. Maybe I don't have the moral high ground on this because, like I say, I've got a, I've got a stress ball that I'm squeezing. But I just. I guess if I were sitting in a classroom, and again in the classroom setting, and somebody was spinning, and everybody was spinning these things, I I know I would find it distracting. You know, well, I understand why, why teachers hate it. Yeah, that's why in the school that she's in, they are completely banned. Yeah, you can't even have them in there. You lose it. Um, yeah, I think right, which is, which, which again, again to me, it kind of makes sense. But that's. You know, schools have to decide. This is this is the it is the red hot thing that is out there, and if you want to, 
I guess my, my thinking on this is if you want to if, if you want to get your kid one or the kids want to play with them and they're sitting there at the coffee shop or whatever after school, I get it. I get it. I, I'm not saying that we need to outlaw them. I'm not saying that, you know, because after fidget spinners are banned, only outlaws will have fidget spinners or something like that. But at the same time, I, I do think, you know, it's you have a tough enough time getting people to concentrate as it is. All right, I'm sorry. A lot of people want to weigh in on this, but there's one There's one other thing I want to mention before I run out of time today. The... Um, the New York Times, which is the, the, the liberal paper of, of record, recently hired a qua- – I, I, he's, it's, he's a moderate conservative. The guy used to write for the Wall Street Journal. His name is Brett Stevens. He's an anti-Trump Republican. He, he is a Republican. He, he is a, a moderate Republican. And they recently hired him to write for um, – there, to write an opinion column. Okay, so this is the big tolerant – the, the tolerant left. So the New York Times hires the guy. His first column, well, it's about climate change. And the, the first column about climate change essentially says, okay, I, I understand and accept that you have all these scientists that are saying that global warning, warming is, is made by, by man. So I, I understand all that. But then he goes on to say, look, I'm – I'm not necessarily denying these theories that are out there, but, you know, ordinary citizens, this is what he writes, may have a right to be skeptical of an overweening scientism. They know, as all environmentalists should, that history is littered with the human wreckings of scientific errors married to political power. So what he is writing, he's not denying climate change. He's just saying, you know, maybe we need to be a little bit careful here because there's been all sorts of times that you've had... You know, scientific opinions, quote unquote, married to the political issue of the day that have turned out to be wrong. All right. So he's saying be skeptical. I don't think be skeptical is an unreasonable thing. I mean, look, I accept, for example, that I think the earth has gotten a little bit warmer. I accept the fact that you've got more people now. So that tells me that there's more pressure on the environment. You've also got, you know, countries that are becoming more developed. So, you know, they're producing more carbons. I I understand that there's probably some man-made component. What I don't necessarily agree with is uh, what is this ultimately going to mean what is the overall impact of this going to be does this mean that the you know world is going to be devastated in two decades i'm not sure i buy that and this columnist he was just expressing that skepticism well here's where this gets funny so he writes this column and the liberal readers of the new york times explodes apparently Apparently, there's all these people that are threatening, they're either canceling their subscriptions or threatening to cancel their subscriptions unless this guy is fired. Unless he's, it's like we can't even, I can't believe that there could even be somebody that challenges the conventional orthodoxy, however a minor way. You know, whether this is University of California, Berkeley, or whether it's the New York Times, whatever happened to the tolerant, compassionate, open-minded left, now it's, oh my gosh, this guy expresses some skepticism. He's got to go or we're canceling our papers. Hmm. How the worm has turned.